Hi, I'm Kevin Alvis with Big Talk Podcasts. I believe that everyone needs to treat themselves for a job well done. Whether it's surviving a workday jam-packed with mind-numbing meetings, or that five-mile bike ride down the lake with your friends, nothing says, I fucking crushed this, like a delicious cold beer. And there's no finer place to treat yourself than Chicago's northernmost taproom, Howard Street Brewing. Just steps from the Howard Street Red Line, Howard Street Brewing offers a cozy 37-seat taproom that's perfect for catching up with old friends or making some new ones. And don't let their one-barrel system fool you. It's perfectly pumping out a rotating menu of amazing beers like Roger's Proud Pale Ale, the Better Late Than Never Pilsner, and the This Is What Happens Larry Belgian Saison. Not sure what to try? Get a flight. Try them all. Like that beer and want some for the after party? Grab a few growlers for the road. You want some sweet merch with your beers? They've got hats and t-shirts ready for you too. So if you're in Chicago or planning a trip to Chicago, be sure to check out Howard Street Brewing. Open Tuesday through Sunday. No cash, cards only. Oh, and did I mention that there's entertainment every Tuesday night and trivia every Wednesday night? Oh, 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 and did I mention that you can have food from all the local spots delivered right to your table? Oh, 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 and did I mention that they're pet friendly? This place is the shit. So check out Howard Street Brewing, located at 1617 West Howard Street in Chicago and at howardstreetbrewing.com. Be sure to tell them Big Talk sent ya. Welcome to Based on a True Story, where Chicago's best writers and storytellers take their true personal stories and adapt them into wild tales of fiction. Recorded live the fourth Tuesday of every month at Howard Street Brewing, located at 1617 West Howard Street in Chicago. Our first story comes from Chicago writer and storyteller Nick Galicchio. When Amy, my friend since first grade, and I discuss how we'll eventually pull a Golden Girls and live together in our sunset years, I summon up the future version of myself, me, when I'm old, and I have a name for this lady. Bernice Jablonski. <laughs> I imagine Bernice like me, but better. She gives fewer fucks than I do, more fearless, more sassy, more Estelle Getty than I could ever be. My own grandma was much more Betty White than Estelle, big-hearted and believing in the nickname she called me, her angel. And when I used to visit grandma when I was little, she let me wander around her condo and all the ones surrounding it, where every building looked the same, was painted the same colors, stood at the same angles, and I would search out the details that made them different, which usually ended up being the unique touches that people decorated their homes with, wreaths on the doors, hanging baskets of flowers. But my favorite surprises when I turned the corner were the well-dressed porch geese. Because the, re- <laughs> because the residents were all mainly widows over 60, there existed an entire network of these two-foot-tall concrete birds spread across the small complex. If it had just rained, one would sport a yellow slicker and matching hat, droplets still glimmering along the brim. If a holiday was coming, the gussied-up goose was the calendar, Easter bonnet and frilly spring dress, or pointy witch's hat and black cloak. There were definitely enough to constitute a gaggle, and I looked it up, and that magic number is five. That was the early 80s, and my grandma passed away in the early 90s, and I pretty much forgot about Front Porch Geese until last summer when I read a book with this grand title, A Paris Year, My Day-to-Day Adventures in the Most Romantic City in the World. And the jet fuel that runs in my veins made me want to buy a ticket because I've been lucky enough to travel overseas a gaggle of times, but that's just not the life I have right now, and I didn't want to waste time being angry that it wasn't my life, so why couldn't I just fall in love more with the town that I already lived in? So I started writing my own book, 
a Lombard year. <laughs> My day-to-day -day adventures in the most ordinary suburb in the world. But in my search for hidden gems, I found a fire hydrant someone painted to resemble the blue Doctor Who TARDIS. I found how during tulip time in Lombard's Flower Park, an elegant symphony of bright red tulips blankets the ground, but somehow one yellow tulip blares out its color like a brassy jazz solo. And of course, I have found porch geese. There's the one on Maple Street that sports a lace-trimmed teapot dress, the one near Roosevelt with a bikini, but my favorite one in Lombard has an impressive outfit rotation. For spring, it donned a straw hat, a ladybug dress, and it held a butterfly net with its sewn-on fake goose arms, which I did not even know were a thing. For Memorial Day, stars bonnet, stripes dress, fake goose arms holding a flag. And when my future golden girl, Amy, and I take a walk near the house and see a teenage girl mowing the lawn, Amy rolls her eyes at me when, of course, I have to stop and ask, are you the one who changes the goose's outfits? <laughs> and she says, no, I was just hired to mow the lawn. Damn, and here I was hoping for a good goose origin story. But, she says, there are a ton of lawn geese where I'm from, Manhattan, Illinois. Ah, yes, the other Manhattan. <laughs> and just like the one in New York, clearly the slightly lesser known Illinois Manhattan is also an epicenter of cultural movements if her tales of Portuguese were to be believed. I'd have to drive downstate and take a gander. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help myself. And who's with me? My goldenest girl and road trippiest partner in crime, Amy. She and I roll into Manhattan in my minivan, and we don't even make it through one full residential street when we already claim victory in this wild goose chase. In this south of I-80 town where there's a pickup truck parked in every driveway and Trump pen signs in many of the lawns, and you guys, this was not even a month ago, our first goose of, <laughs> our first goose of the day is wearing, I shit you not, military fatigues. And no, there are no fake goose arms holding a rifle. So I dart out to dash to the front stoop to take a picture. But when I launch myself back into the driver's seat, Amy says, oh, you really got up close and personal there with the photo shoot. I didn't touch anything. I defend myself, and I make it a rule. No touching the geese. And I don't. Totally hands off the watermelon one, the coordinated couple's costume goose duo, a football player and cheerleader. And I don't lay a finger on the seashell print dress and floppy beach hat one. But on the 11th goose which is wearing a Chicago Cubs ensemble, but its baseball cap has fallen down its neck and the picture would look so much better with it back on its head, so I break the rule, I touch a goose. On the way home from the unofficial porch goose capital of the world, Amy asks me, so are you gonna get one? And I'm like, the alter ego Bernice Jablonski in me will probably eventually want one, but no, because what I love is discovering them like Easter eggs waiting to be found. My favorite part is driving by a goose one day and seeing an outfit on it, and the next day the whole wardrobe has changed and it feels like the goose is the one who did it. <laughs> and that's when Amy suggests, what if we change one of their outfits? <laughs> it's too perfect. What better way to thank someone who's injected a little bit of playfulness and magic in my day by turning around and doing the same for them? Yes, brilliant. So I begin shopping for a handcrafted ensemble on where else, Etsy. And even though my favorite getup is a black Supreme Court justice robe with a white crochet necklace for Ruth Bader Gooseberg, <laughs> I go with this significantly less political barbecue one, chef hat and red gingham kiss the cook apron, along with 
I can't help myself, fake goose arms, one hand carrying grilled tongs and the other holding a spatula. So the question becomes, which Lombardian goose will get the fashion makeover? I get my answer when I'm driving by the old condo complex where my grandma used to live and I realize I haven't even explored it. One scouting expedition later, I've discovered that they've nearly gone extinct. There's only one goose left standing and it's wearing a fur coat and it's June. <laughs> Amy and I plan for just before sunset. It'll still be light out. I don't want to scare the homeowners and I'll have enough time to write them a note to the kindred spirit who lives there who loves that things as ridiculous as Portuguese exist in the world and get a little gift bag ready because I'm not stealing anyone's goose outfit. I'm not a monster. Jeez. I'm just gonna change its clothes and leave the old outfit with my note in a gift bag. Okay, plan is set. <laughs> we take my car because minivans inherently mean no harm, but when I park on the street, my stomach is in knots, and when I step out from my car, my hands are shaking and my arms have goosebumps, which seems fitting. Even though this whole operation was Amy's idea, she's chickening out and walking a few feet behind me as we approach our chosen goose, which is on a waist-high stone wall near the front door, but not right up next to it. The fur coat it's wearing used to be white, but this past winter and spring have turned it more of a gray. And it's the only goose we've seen whose clothes don't match the season. I take a deep breath. We're here. We already have the outfit. This goose deserves to be dressed appropriately for the weather. Just do it already. How many times does a person get to be a fairy goose mother? So I unbutton the coat and slip it off and into the gift bag, and I'm velcroing on the apron and adjusting the grill tongs. I haven't even had a chance to top it with a chef hat when Amy and I hear, hey, what do you think you're doing? <gasps> I freeze. Our goose is cooked in the front doorway. An old man is silhouetted by his TV light. He's standing behind the screen door, one hand on the handle, ready to come out, and my word vomit begins spewing forth. Hi, hi, I wanted to surprise you. I hold up the gift bag. I just, we just, I glance back at Amy, but she's scurrying back to the minivan. Hey, golden girl, thanks a lot. Thank you for being a friend. I, I turn back to face him and his unruly, wiry old man eyebrows, wishing that I was talking not to this angry goose father, but to Mother Goose instead. I say, my grandma used to live near here, and I loved all the geese when I was little. I'm so sorry. You are touching property, he's saying, that you have no business touching. I want to back away, but now I'm not sure if I should stay to put the fur coat back on. You're right, I tell him. You're right, I shouldn't have. I fish out the fur coat. It's too late now. No, I can just put it back on. You don't understand, he says, and suddenly he's out the door faster than I would have bet an 80-year-old could move, and he's tearing the fur coat from my hand. My wife, he's saying. My wife used to change the clothes. He's not looking at me. He's ripping off the Velcro ape, and she's gone, he's saying. She's gone now, and then I realize what I've done. Mother Goose isn't coming. Mother Goose is dead, and the outfit I took off was the last one her hands had put on. That's why there was a fur coat in June. I crossed the line. My rule was not to touch the geese, but I did. His gnarled fingers are trying to work the first button. Here I can help, I say. I'm so sorry. I'm on the second button when I hear his laugh. It's not a carefree, light-as-a-balloon type of laugh. It's more of a barking, purposeful, I'm-choosing-to-laugh kind of guttural chuckle. Wait, just stop. Put on the one you brought. The grandkids, my grandkids will get a kick out of it. I slowly bend over to retrieve the apron. Are you sure? I chance a glance at him. All his sharp creases have relaxed and even his wild eyebrows have eased up. This would have made her day, he says. And I turn to the goose to finish what I set out to do. I think about the woman who mothered this goose, who is probably as old as my grandmother was when she died, who wanted to add playfulness to everyone's day, and I wish I could have met her. I wish I hadn't been too late with all this. I don't ask him what her name was, 
but in my head, she's Bernice. Our second story comes from Chicago storyteller Shakita Renee. All right, so in 2010, I had just graduated from Chicago State University. I got my bachelor's in education, and I was married, I have a baby, and I'm pregnant with my second son. So somehow, during the graduation and postgraduate programs or whatever, I got this random opportunity to teach abroad. And so I started researching it. I was like, wow, like companies in Spain, Egypt, and the other one was Costa Rica would pay you to come over and be an educator. And they will pay for your flight, they will pay for your family, they will give you housing allowance, um, all types of perks. And so I'm sitting with my husband like, okay, I know this is random and I know I'm pregnant, but <laughs> I think this might be a good opportunity. Like I'm born and raised on the south side of Chicago. Like most people don't even want to go fucking downtown. So let's go out the fucking country. And he's like, all right, well, mine as well. <laughs> I was like, sure, let's do it. And we had to plan it and we had to move fast because mind you, I'm pregnant and I'm due in October. This is July. So it's like, okay, what do we do? Because after a while, like if you're eight or nine months, you cannot fly on a plane. Um, So we landed on Egypt because all of the history and the beauty and the cost of living was cheap. So like for one US dollar, it was five Egyptian pounds. And we're like, hell yeah, we're going to be kings and queens over there in that bitch, you know? And so it's like, all right, let's go. So I get in contact with the school. It's a British American school in Cairo. And I'm like, yes. Let's, let's go, Every, the stars are aligned. And this is happening, my family think I'm batshit crazy, that's Saba. They're like, what the fuck are you doing? Where are you taking my grandchild? Are you okay? Why did you, why did you even go to school to do this shit? I was just like, hey, I live my life the way I want, not your business, right? And so after much prayer, because my family are like very religious and they thought Jesus was gonna save me, he did not. And so <laughs> I went anyway and We get there, um, I had to find a doctor, Uh, we had to find somewhere to live. It's just, it's a lot, a lot going on. And mind you, my youngest is like one years old at the time, so we're just kind of going crazy. But by the time December comes, we're like settled, we're cool. I start in January, Um, I just had my baby, I went through the whole crazy postpartum phase, everything is cool. Um, So we ended up moving to Cairo, and it's this, community, this expat community, and it's like set apart. You know, this is where you get your American shit at. And it was like, okay, this is, you know, comfort, a little, you know, flame house with cheese and things like that, things I'm used to, I appreciate it. Um, but the housing allowance was great. We lived in a villa. Um, balconies, beautiful, like marble, they throw marble on anything, like, they were like, (laughs) is that a roll? Throw some fucking marble on that shit, you know? And so it was just so beautiful, and I had a nanny, oh my God, like, never did I think this lifetime I'm gonna have a fucking nanny. A driver, it was like $20 a week, like, (laughs) I am balling, we are rich, okay? Um, The school allows me to bring my kids with me, for free, you know what I'm saying? So I'm just living the life. And towards the end of January, the Egyptian revolution happens. (laughs) And I'm at work. 
And this day, I didn't bring my kids to work with me, luckily, but somehow it's rumors of chaos, but you don't really know what's happening. We're safe because it's a British American school and we're not really in the thick of it. And we were kind of in the thick of it. So this particular day, it was just chaos everywhere. And so my driver was on the way to come pick me up from the school. And I'm getting a call, and he's like, I can't make it to you. I'm like three hours out, traffic has stopped. Um, people are everywhere. They're throwing shit, bombing, whatever. Whatever you think of a revolution, they're doing it, right? People rolling in the street, you know, throwing fireworks. It's just, just random shit is happening. And I was like, okay, what do I need to do? So my coworker is like, hey, you can't get, he can't get to you, but you might get to him. But we have to take the bus. And I was like, okay, I'm not used to taking the bus because I'm bougie now, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll give it, you know, I'll give it a go. How many, how many Egyptian pounds is this, you know? <laughs> I'm a wealthy woman here now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so me and my now friend, we get on the bus, but you would think that we were getting chased by the police because we're like looking over our shoulders and shit and we're trying to find where the bus is. We find a bus to get us to where I need to go to get to the driver so that I can get home and safe to my kids. But it was chaos everywhere. And the bus at some point just stopped. The bus couldn't even keep going. So she looks to me with her broken English. I'm like, bitch, speak. I don't understand what's going on. So she's like, okay, okay. We have to walk. And I was like, now I gotta walk? It's bad enough I got on the bus, so now I don't even know how this is gonna work. And so like something comes over me, like a lot of panic, a lot of fear. I'm trying to get in contact with my husband. He's nervous, but he's with the kids. They're safe. I'm just the only motherfucker not safe here. Like, I don't even belong here. Why is this happening right now, right? And so we're walking, and people are fighting across the street. Cars backed up. They're cussing each other out. And what I assume is like, fuck you, get out of the way. But I don't know the language. So, but you can tell in that energy, everybody's like really frustrated. So we're like going down the street, maneuvering through cars. It was just something like out of a sci-fi movie. Like the only thing I didn't do was like trip and fall <laughs> and get like caught by the boogeyman or some shit. But it was pretty drastic, but my anxiety is just getting like higher and higher and I'm panicking. So we finally make it to the top where I can start looking for the driver. It got so bad in the country that they, they shut down all the phones. So I couldn't call him. I had, I had just got in contact with him to see where the car was. And so as I'm trying to figure out where he is, my friend was like, all right, bitch, you're safe. And she went on about her way to get safe. And so I'm left by myself trying to figure out where the driver is. And so now the phone is off. I can't get in contact with my husband. I'm just all over the place. And I'm like running in slow motion to the car. I finally see him. And it's like, as soon as I see him, I trip. And then I wake up in the hospital. Oh. Wake up in the hospital, and I was just like, intubated, strapped to a, a hospital bed. And I'm panicked, like I'm furious. I don't know what is going on. And so I lose consciousness, and then I come back. This time, I'm in the ICU. And I was just like, what? has happened. I'm thinking maybe it's like the next day or the same day. 
And they give me my phone and my belongings. I call my husband. He's on his way. And he's like, you've been here for four days. So I had a concussion, lost consciousness, and I'm here while the fucking world is blowing up outside on the Nile. So instead, what happened was the driver, instead of him taking me home, he had to take me to the hospital. So he had to go out of the one way in and take me on the Nile to this hospital. And it was just, it was a lot. I was like, I haven't seen my husband, I haven't seen my babies. What the fuck is the government doing in the United States? Where's the embassy? Like, how the hell do we get out of here? Like, it's time to go home. I didn't sign up for this shit. Um, and so I'm telling my husband, like, okay, let's, let's get the fuck up out of here. Like, I don't think this is worth it anymore. Um, I survived a lot of shit on the south side of Chicago. Never did I imagine I'd be fucking in Egypt going through this shit, you know? And so I'm glad my vitals was coming back fine, and I got to see my babies and everything. And so my husband goes home, and maybe like the day later, I'm talking to the hospital, like, you know, I'm good. You know, it's time to go home. And it was like, hell yeah, bitch, you could go home. And <laughs> yeah, let's, let's get the hell up out of here. That's enough excitement for a fucking lifetime. <laughs> I need nothing else to be exciting anymore. And I get the bill. Now, I didn't have traveler's insurance. And I wasn't working long enough for the school to be able to compensate. And so I'm doing the numbers, probably slightly a little off on the medications, you know? I was like, you know, $2,000 isn't bad. You know, I, we, we have that, we can do that. And the lady was like, no, bitch, it's $20,000 because of the, you don't have insurance, you're a foreigner, we accepted you because you're not from here, we expected you would have money, you need to give us the money, right? Wow, this is better. I woke up to this shit. Like, I could have just carried me home unconscious. That would have been great. So I'm furious all over again. I just could not understand what God was trying to tell me. I'm just sitting in the hospital room looking through the mirror like, wow, this is really life. Like, this could have been a Lifetime movie. And I could have wrote it, produced it, and sent it to someone. I needed not to live this shit out. Um, but me and my husband worked it out. We called the school and we was like, can you work on our behalf? Because the embassy was like, hey, the only thing we can do is give y'all flights to come back home because the country is in, in the uproar and it'd be safer for you to go home. I was like, yes, we're planning on fucking doing it if I can get <laughs> out of this hostage situation in the hospital. And so the school intervened. I made a plan with them to come back in the fall after the country settled down and was better. I did not fucking come back. Let's start there. <laughs> that was enough for me. Um, take me and my little Egyptian babies and take, get my ass back home. And so they, they worked it out, clean slate, and we got out of that fucking country so fucking fast and we never looked back. Like for everyone else, they love the pyramids and all the other history. For me, Egypt is a whole nother story and I will not be going back there. <laughs> If you're interested in performing, send us an email at bigtalkpodcast at gmail.com or contact us through our website at bigtalkchicago.com. And be sure to join us the fourth Tuesday of every month for a live recording at Howard Street Brewing at 1617 West Howard Street in Chicago. Blah, blah, blah. Big talk.